At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit FreedomHealthWorks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. We continue the theme that we've been hitting in 2021 here in this season of the show, where we try to dive in, dive a little bit deeper, peel back the layers of the onion that is the United States healthcare system. So once again, we're taking a foray into pharmacy, the land and world of pharmacy. And so joining me today is John Zevzavajan, the Executive Vice President of Enterprise Platform Solutions. John, welcome to the show. We're gonna cover a lot of ground here. I always say I'm excited to talk to people and it's true, but this topic and, and things we've outlined here are really exciting to talk about and help shine some light on. Well, thank you, Christopher. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Now you have an extensive career in pharmacy, more of the business of pharmacy, but you are a pharmacist by training, by trade, right? That's correct. Yes, I went to pharmacy school and practiced for a couple of years before I got into what you would call managed care pharmacy back in 1994. And so currently with your company, using a lot of artificial intelligence, machine learning to work with companies, plans, payers, to really build out that formulary Give us a quick overview of your current work, and then you know we can kind of take a step back and see how we got to this point. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, so I work for a company called RxSense. What we've built is a modern cloud-based PBM platform, as well as an analytics platform. And what that means is that technology that most PBMs are on were built in the 1990s and early 2000s on mainframes and they're very inefficient. And there's a lot of waste and very technical and very inefficient process where the modern technology brings not just scale, but easier to manage, implement, and to decrease overall costs. Think about it from a waste perspective. It seems like everybody's moving away from the old server farm mentality or like the internal servers getting more cloud-based just easier to use, right? Accessible from anywhere. Security is usually better. Although there have been a string of high-profile yeah. hacks in multiple industries, so you never want to say no, <laughs> you never want to go too far. That's true, and you know we're, we've gone through all of the certification. We're high trust certified, as an example. You know we go through all the SOC audits and, and, and so forth. You know PHI is you know critical, and to ensure that we're compliant and ensure that from a privacy and protection of, of patient. So, but you're, you're spot on it. There's always a risk, but we try to mitigate as much risk by being um, going above and beyond. Oh, well, PHI is critical, but it's also very valuable. That's where everybody totally, says, right. get the data, get the data. The money's in the data. Well, that's right. And, you know, and, and one of the things that we've built, if, if uh, not just the claims processing platform, is we've built a strong analytical tool called RxIQ. And what that is doing is within an hour of a claim being paid, that data is available to the end user. And the end user could be a PBM. It could be a company that's new in the market because they're tired of the status quo. So we make that data readily available within an hour of a claim. 
but you're, you're spot on. It's, it's very significant to make it actionable. Right. You've mentioned PBM a couple of times, and, and, and this is a fun conversation to have for me because you know, it's always one of those nebulous terms out there. Of course, PBM stands for Pharmacy Benefit Manager. We've had a lot of smart individuals, including yourself on here, and everybody has just a little bit definition of what a PBM does or what it is, excuse me, and what it does. Would love to hear your take on it. I think you know they're very valuable. They provide a critical service to an employer or to a health plan and ultimately to the individual, the consumer. Thinking about it, they're the steward of pharmacy spend. So they're helping the employer or the health plan or whoever may be the buyer to help manage appropriate utilization, to manage costs, et cetera. And that could be through formulary management. It could be through the pharmacy network, ensuring that you have the right network from an access and affordability. And of course, you know, most of the big players own a specialty pharmacy, um, which, you know, where most of the drug spend is happening today. But they do provide that service around appropriate utilization, et cetera. There's been a lot of consolidation, uh, we'll call it, in the PBM world in recent years. Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what's driving that. I mean, we see these big networks, big insurers even getting jumping into the PBM game, lots of moving pieces. What's really the undercurrent that drives that? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. I think, you know, the role of the government as a payer is increased, which in turn squeezes margins, both from a PBM, from a retailer. If you think about the three largest, either they own an insurance company or an insurance company owns them. So if you look at United Healthcare and OptumRx, United has a significant footprint in Medicare. You know, CVS acquisition of Aetna, they were a client for many years. But the continuation of government and where Aetna has been playing very strong in Medicare, you see that playing out. And then Cigna's acquisition is a little bit different, was more on the employer side, is to leverage all the employer business that Express Scripts had. Can they grow their national accounts? But at the end of the day, it's, it's the market that's driving you know, the tailwind of government or, or more carve out national employers having a choice around pharmacy benefits. Now, I got to ask, because you, you brought up more consolidation, government involvement, squeezing margins. Is that helping make pharmaceuticals more or less affordable to the end user? Oh, that's a great question, right? So I think the answer is... <laughs> we asked the tough ones here. <laughs> the tough one, that one. I would say is the government takes on more of the payer, there still needs to be a check and balance. And if you look what Trump tried to do around managing rebates at point of sale. And then you're seeing Biden's plan around trying to negotiate some form of rebates on behalf of Medicare. I think the challenge is the, the cost of the new drugs. And that's probably where the pain points are happening because mm-hmm. 90% of all drugs dispensed in the United States are generic drugs. They're mm-hmm. low cost and they provide their life-saving. It's really the, the new drugs that are being launched that are significantly more expensive. And I think that's where the, the pain points are occurring. And the government, from a catastrophic perspective, pays between a couple thousand dollars. But after that, it's on the hook of the plan. Right. So I, I would say the government has a bias to do something, but I don't see them jumping all in to take over the total spend. Sure. Yeah. The bias to do something from government might scare a lot of people out yeah. there. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Right. The best thing you can do is absolutely nothing. Keep the gridlock. Keep it still. Don't don't uh, don't keep switching things out and changing things up. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting you know conversation. And a lot of people want to go there immediately, thinking 
well, pharmaceutical drugs are out of control. And, and I love the fact that you just said, look, the vast majority of medications in the United States are generics, but it's the innovation, it's the drug creation, the FDA process where there's not a lot of players out there on a national scale that can crank out new life-saving pharmaceuticals like the United States pharmaceutical industry. But yet they're absolutely vilified in most cases for multiple administrations. I'll say that too. Well, think about what we just lived through for the last 15, 16 months of the pandemic. If it wasn't for the drug manufacturers and innovation, we'd still be living in our house. It wouldn't be out. And think about the vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna and J&J, that without that innovation, we'd still be challenged around economy and going back to some sorts of normalcy. There has to be that, that, that right balance around, to your point, around innovation and R&D. Yeah. And, and it's US, it was U.S. companies and you know, a handful of European companies. And look what happened with our friends north of the border in Canada. They weren't able to do it. And that country's still locked down, tiring the drum. Right. It is always a tricky conversation because on the flip side, they're saying, well, if we start importing drugs like we've talked about, you know, like the Biden administration is talking about, well, then that's going to do something. I'm thinking, well, Okay, but is that the right course of action here? And so it's always that's why I had to ask. You know, no, no, it's, it's, does uh, government involvement help or hurt when it comes to de- these different types of things, or is it all going to be market driven? I, I think it's going to be market driven. At the end of the day, if you import drugs from Canada, there's going to be a shortage somewhere, <laughs> and there's probably not enough supply in the marketplace. And then what has that happened to a Canadian citizen who? wants to, you know, that could afford or needs to care. I think a lot of it is a lack of understanding by some of the policymakers. And over time, they'll be educated. And ultimately, it's going to be the market that drives the market. You said you had a previous client with Aetna, I believe, with CVS Aetna? That's correct. Yes. So I'm just curious, when somebody goes through M&A like that, how does your company and your process really adapt because to me, that would be a big kind of a kind of a big hole in the ship that you need to fill. You're talking from an RX Sense perspective. What? Yes. Because I'm assuming, John. Yeah, I'm assuming. And, and tell me if this is the wrong assumption that once a big company like that buys up and creates their own PBM, they're going to do everything they can to keep that yeah. closed circuit. Yeah, that's. Um, <laughs> I would say you know if you think about the big three and the CVS Aetna, they control 75, 80 percent of the market. And there's still continuing to be new PBMs in the marketplace. Even today, there was an announcement of an investment a PE firm investing into a PBM. And the questions are, you know, there's, there's still marketplace. And I think the dynamic is that folks are still evaluating other options. You know, if you think about scale matters in a lot of the business, but you don't get the flexibility, you don't get the personalization, you don't get the customization. But if you're a buyer and that's, you're just an economic buyer, that may be fine. But if you're a different type of buyer that wants flexibility, personalization, and wants to be more centric to their employee, you know, there's other options. And I think that's why the business, the PBM industry is, there's still many, many PBMs in the marketplace. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and then um, last question for you here, and then I want to dive a little bit back into your background and, and how you got to this, you know, because some people might say, well, wow, you you're came out as a pharmacist and now you're leading this company trying to help out a ton of people. How'd you get to this point? 
what is really the value proposition of Rx Sense in what we just talked about when a company goes out and a PE firm comes out and grabs one of these guys and says, all right, yeah. close network. We're not going to shop around anymore. Yeah. So one is that our goal is to enable customers. So they could be a PBM. They could be somebody who has a pharmacy benefit, a distributor, a pharmacy, a grocer to take control of their own destiny and have a true understanding of their costs in a very transparent way. So they understand where all of their spend is happening. So for example, we don't make any money on drug spend. It's all passed on to our customer who in turn pass that on to their, to their client or their, their member. So the foundation is transparency, it's access, it's modern technology that drives efficiencies. And that's what we're trying to change the game a bit from that perspective. I love it. You know, you're tugging at my heartstrings with transparency. Anybody listening out there knows that Chris really likes transparency. You know, can't put it on the website, then it's not as transparent as people say. I know I said I want to dive in your background, but one yes, last sir. question for you on that one. There's been talk, and again, this is kind of bringing in the feds, which I, I hate involving them in any type of healthcare conversation, but there's always this confusion around rebates when it comes to drug costs. How does transparency fit in with rebates? And just take that a step further, there's been kind of proposals and whispers about making rebates completely illegal and everybody puts their cards on the table. Would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So um, I think it's a challenging question because of all the different constituents and the buyers. If I'm pharma, if I am totally partnering with my PBM and growing market share, I want the status quo and I want the volume. But if I'm the pharma company looking outside in because I can't get access, I want the extreme and I want total transparency and I want to compete in a level playing ground. So that's one constituent. I would say from a government perspective, you do see some government, not control, but government. If you look at Medicare, they require that rebate through a DIR payment to be passed through the premium, but it's not transparent. It's kind of still a black box. I think where you're going to see the most is Medicaid fee-for-service, as a lot of states have passed, I would call them almost anti-PBM laws. You've seen Ohio pass it recently, uh, the state of Washington um, and others. Uh, Montana was another one recently in the last two weeks. Where, what they're doing is they're, that rebate is going to be carved out from the PBM and the state's going to manage that. So they'll have a total understanding of the rebate value. But that rebate value is not being passed on to the end customer. So it is still not a great experience for the customer, but right. it's providing some checks and balances to ensure that there is some type of level playing field. Yeah. So would it would ever be possible? Do you ever see a scenario where that rebate is just taken off the price right away? And so there's no inflation of charge, rebate, and then you get to the actual cost? I think that's where I, I get a lot of questions, John. So I'm trying to, you know, kind of put yeah, sure. Yeah, my hat yeah. on of I'm a typical consumer or a business owner, right? I'm not really under sure what where the rebates come in or where those different moving pieces happen. And I know it's complex. And so I'm very you know sympathetic to getting the pieces in the right kind of place. I'm just trying to make sure that, you know, if anybody listening is going to say, oh, okay, I understand A plus B minus C equals, you know, my final yeah. cost. I think Christopher, most PBMs and especially the large three do offer a point of sale rebate program. Yeah. to their employers downstream. And it's up to the employer because the employer may want to take that rebate for administration costs across where they want to pass that to the consumer. So the PBMs 
can do that. But there's an offset in the fees, right? Because that is a revenue stream, to your point, to the PBM. And I think it's the right consultant to help them manage through that to ensure that they're getting the best value to the, to the end consumer. But there is a trade-off of, am I going to pass it all to my employee or I'm going to keep part of that to fund some of my HR activities? And that's really, it comes down to the employer who has the most say because they ultimately buy the benefit on behalf of their employees. Yeah, that's a great point. And that is certainly something that you know, nobody else has even shined the light on. And it makes a ton of sense. The employers have a ton of power in what kind of plan they want to write and how that plan is going to function there. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, no problem. Okay. So give us your background. You know, you're coming out of pharmacy school and then uh, how you got from there to here. Yeah, no, uh, uh, I got out of pharmacy school and just like, you know, back uh, many, many years ago, you had a couple of choices. One was to go to retail pharmacy or hospital pharmacy or academia. And I kind of did both retail and hospital and I went to the University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy, and they were involved in a Medicaid program, an offshoot called the TenCare program, which still exists. And uh, my professor was the uh, senior vice president. He said, hey, I got this great opportunity. You want to be a DUR pharmacist for a PBM? And I'm like, what's a PBM? And you know, I had to go find out. And I went to work in 94 for a PBM that managed Medicaid benefits. And then from there, we grew our business. And I left that and I went to work for CVS. And I spent 17 years at CVS Health. And my first uh, seven years was working for the PBM, including Caremark. And I was in a sales role, pharmacist. I did clinical operations and worked with our customers over time. And that's how I got there. And in 2010, I moved to the retail side of our business and I led our payer relations team. And that team contracted with PBMs and plans directly. So I spent, you know, better mid of my career there. And I left in 2019, but it's a, it was a great company, had a great run. And looking at the pandemic, they did a great job as well as the other retailers mm-hmm. and bringing um, scale to our lives and so forth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have done it without them. On that vein, we're seeing a lot of interesting trends in retail pharmacy. It seems like there's been multiple starts and potential false starts, and then there's other expansion programs about bringing in what I'm going to consider to be a comprehensive healthcare facility, healthcare kind of outreach into local communities there based in those retail pharmacies. One that's big right now, Walgreens, Village MD. What are your thoughts? What's your reaction to what they're trying to do? You know, it's interesting. If you take a step back, all the retailers are doing a couple of different things, right? So CVS was on the forefront with clinic and retail clinics. Others did it, but not at scale. So CVS today, it's about a thousand clinics. And that's, it's a nurse practitioner model, right? primarily acute illnesses and so forth. Some grocers have gone, but Walgreens has taken a step back and they made a, an investment into Village MD, which Christopher, you know, based on your background, you know, from a primary care perspective, what they're doing is cohabitating primary care physician practices next door to a Walgreens. You know, if you think about where the, the industry has gone with Medicare and primary care, I think it's interesting that they're going to be partnering together and ultimately, it's the physician who writes the prescription mm-hmm. from an acute or a maintenance and co-collaboration. I think it has an opportunity to change the way a patient interacts with their pharmacist and their physician for the ultimate improvement of outcomes. Do you see, and, and I appreciate that, do you see this as the reemergence of what I'm going to call a community pharmacist? 
You know, you mentioned there that building those relationships with your primary care doctor, which we all know is very, very important. That's one of the reasons why Freedom HealthWorks exists in the direct care space. But we are seeing a lot where pharmacists are sitting here saying, I have a ton of education to bring to my patients, but I don't have that opportunity right now because if primary care doctors are pressed for time and can't develop a relationship, you know the pharmacists don't have a shot at being able to do that. For sure. You know, if you think about the pharmacist who goes to school for six years, they want to practice on the top of their license. And if they're sitting in the back of a store just checking prescriptions, they're not practicing. And especially the younger pharmacists, they want to get out there and they want to care for the patients. And I, I think that is one of the reasons, you know, the pharmacist community is going to push for that. But I think having them closer working will, to your point, will get that pharmacist to practice at the top of their license. Now, what sets apart something like a nurse practitioner model, like you said, with Minute Clinic from a Village MD? You know, Minute Clinic primarily deals with acute illnesses. It could be strep throat, pink eye, an ear infection, et cetera. What they don't treat is chronic care routinely. And part of that has to be under the supervision of a physician. You know, they may collaborate with a health system or a physician practice, but it's not at scale. Where the Village MD model, you have the primary care who's going to treat chronic illnesses. So to me, that's the differentiator is acute versus chronic. Yeah, again, I appreciate the insight, you know, talking to an industry insider and I know it was 2019, so still relatively fresh, uh, I would think there. But so going back to... RX Sense. Um, yep. We mentioned earlier big play into artificial intelligence, machine learning. Yeah. Give us a little bit more depth into what that means yeah. and why you know employers should really care about that when they implement new plans or are shopping around for new plans. Right. It's a good question. So we have another business under RX Sense called Single Care. It's a, one of the leading direct to consumer cash discount cards. And part of that is there's price transparency and there's a lot of competition in the marketplace. And the reality, you're under constraints with your pharmacy partners around appropriate reimbursement rates, contractual. And what we have done is built the foundation on how you can price competitively to ensure that you get the right customer or price point, but also ensure you're compliant with your pharmacy contracts because you, you want that really good relationship. So we've built algorithms to ensure that we price drugs appropriately from both a marketplace and a contract constraint. What that in turn does now for the business that I'm responsible for an enterprise platform is that we've taken that same knowledge base and brought it over to our customers. And what that allows them to do is to manage drug pricing both at their client level and their consumer level. So we bring the tools. They can look at the pricing to ensure that they're competitive, but to ensure that the pharmacy partners are making enough money. And that's key. We need pharmacies. So we're, we're always the balance of customer price and pharmacy price to ensure that that right balance is that there's enough margin for the pharmacy and that the consumer is getting a, a competitive price. Do you ever run into any problems when you say, look, we're trying to be as transparent as we possibly can, emphasis on transparency, we don't have anything to hide here. Is there anybody in the course of you know, your business or your workings, partnerships, anything like that, who say, 
eh, we'd rather keep our costs and prices behind the curtain? I would say most people take their acquisition costs and that is strictly you know, highly confidential. But the way we approach it from a transparency perspective is that they totally understand how much money they're making, how much money we're making, and how much the consumer is paying. Mm-hmm. I think when you line all that up, nobody really pushes back on that. Gotcha. Um, so more of the, what, uh, I'm never going to begrudge you for making a profit. Just tell me what it is and make sure that it's not something that's going to bankrupt me. Type that's of right. Thing. As long as it's not egregious. That's right. Yeah. No, I, I always think it's fascinating. And and we look at that a lot of where are the potential roadblocks in trying to trying to achieve our mission, right? You want to you want to do business with a lot of like minded people who have the same values. So I totally understand yeah. where that is. And and just so we're clear there, as far as acquisition costs, put that in a little bit of context. Are we talking about what it costs to buy the drugs, or where does that actually come? Yeah, in? sure. Right. So all the pharmacies buy their drugs in different ways, but ultimately they buy it from the generic manufacturer, the brand manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And they all have different deals based on prompt pay or discounts or volume discounts. And you know they have to make their margin. And the way we look at it is we benchmark it against a couple places. So, so when they buy their drug, there's a list price called AWP or a MAC price, but ultimately they're making the spread on what they buy versus what they sell. And it's that balance is we're conscious of and respectful of them making money. Absolutely. John, uh, this is always kind of the crown jewel conversation here on, on our episodes, but you're king for a day. You can have a magic wand, you wave it around and say, poof, all of a sudden, all the ailments, all the problems that afflict the United States healthcare industry, they're fixed at the snap of your fingers. What are you doing to make sure that happens? What's your idea of the perfect healthcare system, healthcare industry? I would say coming from my experience is how do you take friction out of any process between a pharmacist and a physician and the customer? So how do you improve that experience? And that will ultimately improve adherence rates, compliance rates, and a better outcome. So that's one. I think we've talked about price transparency for the last half hour. I think that's extremely important, especially around the true out-of-pocket costs. And the third, which we can't get is we need access for our patients. So to me, people talk three-legged stool, but somewhere, you know, quality is always you're going to have to have. But to me, is you need to have the right access and affordability. Those are kind of three tenants that we preach out a lot. You know, the, the interesting word in there, and people have heard me say this before, is quality. And um, that word means something different to everybody out there. And especially in, in people in healthcare, it depends where you are, kind of in that spectrum of patient care and patient interaction of what the old Q word means. So I'd love to hear your definition of quality as well. To me, I respect all of what the pharmacy has to do, what the physician from a licensing, I take it for granted that somebody on the corner of First and Main or the physician practice down the street is always thinking about ensuring the quality of the care they deliver. So it's taking the customer as number one, in my mind, and all of the regulatory in the background that checks all the boxes, that's going to happen. But to me, it's putting the customer first and ensuring that they're safe and they have a, a, an expected outcome from their care. That's about as good a definition as a, if I've heard. We've heard, you know, quality is, is time spent with the patient, you know, focusing yeah, on the right. primary care side of it. 
we've heard quality is whatever the hell insurance companies tells us it is and what they're <laughs> going to pay us the most. So right. you know what I mean? Like there's such a wide spectrum of that. And uh, it's, it's very easy for a lot of big systems to lose sight of the individual. And I think, I think your definition um, captures that emphasis on people doing right by each other is kind of what it comes down to here. One last question here. You know, we talked a little bit about retail involvement uh, and how pharmacies really went to bat for vaccine distribution and helping curb the pandemic Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Was there anything else that you saw that could have been a missed opportunity that hopefully this doesn't happen to us next time uh, and there isn't a next you know pandemic coming? But next time we say we got to be ready. Well, there's anything you would have changed as far as the distribution goes? Are you talking from a vaccine distribution or just in general from a pandemic perspective? Yeah, from a vaccine distribution, the things we can affect, you know, kind of kind of in your world of uh, retail pharmacy and then the the uh, pharmaceuticals in general. You know, it's, it's hard to, to be a Monday morning quarterback because I, I think, you know, they did yeoman's work in such short time. Just from a, the product, you know, from a supply chain perspective, it had to be frozen and certain criteria and then set up the clinics. You know, my experience in working with the pharmacies, they, they dropped everything to support us, you know, in the United States. It did take probably innovation back six months to a year. But the reality is, I think they all did a great job and they continue to do a, a really good job from that perspective. And they brought tools that they will now utilize to improve our experience with pharmacy. I would say their member experience through an app or mobile was probably adequate prior pandemic. And now it's a lot better. Everything is done, you know, mobile and the experiences that they, the, the investments they made will, I think, overall improve other areas of pharmacy based on the last year. I like it. Makes a ton of sense. John, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and thank you so much for sharing so much of your insight. Thank you for the time and and to your audience and thanks again. That's John Zebzavajin, Executive Vice President, Enterprise Platform Solutions with RxSense. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from ISOLF Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. 
Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com. A free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.